0: And welcome to the Red Hot Chili Prepper Podcast. This is episode 50. I am Suzanne Sherman. Jeff Johnson and I are going to talk about firearm safety during hunting. On the last show, we talked about game preservation, different ways of processing and storing over the long term my game, particularly with regards to my elk hunt. Before we get rolling, everything you need to know to follow us now you can find on my website, Suzanne C sherman.com on the home page is a window for not only this show but also the wasatch report our other podcast as well as the button to donate if you would like to support our shows we have also added some new suggested reading materials as well as a new page for product recommendations i'm going to start adding some more products to that very soon but we have a amazon affiliate links on those pages so if you buy there that's a way of supporting us and it doesn't cost you any extra and we have some really great products and books available speaking of great books the lost frontier handbook is now also featured on my web page just scroll down you'll see the image over nine mile canyon with my cowboy boots and that will take you directly to the site you can order from there the physical copy is available so all you have to do is just add shipping to the normal cost. Learn the ways of the pioneers. It is your ultimate guide to self-reliance. Jeff, I'm almost done with my other book, and this is going to be a little bit different topic. But if you're interested in learning about constitutional history and our system of government, which is supposed to be a federal government, please check that out soon. We're going to have this up on my website. I'm going to call it Federalism. How Decentralization Can Save America. That will be available on Amazon Kindle for now. And fear not, once this book is out and I learned the process, I've got a plethora of topics on preparedness that I'm going to get up and out there on Kindle. Jeff, I find that I still need a creative outlet and Facebook, social media, Twitter just doesn't cut it. I find myself censored all the time. You know, you remember our page, the Wasatch Report radio show, that had a reach of 1 million at a time. And once we reached the million mark, it just was throttled back 94%, if not more, I think actually 99%. So they want you to boost, they want you to pay, but they're still going to censor you. So please look for more of my work on Amazon Kindle, and I might even get some printed books out as well. And uh, Jeff, how are you doing? It's great. Seems like we haven't done one of these in a while.
1: I'm doing well. We have gotten content up in the meantime. We've done some shows, and then I've just kind of put them out about once a week. So we're not, you know, just throwing a whole bunch of shows up at one time. But at the same time, I agree with you about the Facebook thing. You know, it's gotten really ridiculous. I've been on some sort of uh, restriction. I'm. It says I'm on the bottom of the feed, and it's <laughs> supposed to be for like 90 days, but it, it just seems to be never ending. I'm always there, and I don't post anything there anymore. So, I mean, I- I don't, I'm don't. i not posting anything that's uh, offending somebody at this point. Well, maybe you and Greg, I post those stupid <laughs> jokes and he seems to offend you too.
0: He's probably reporting. You know, I'll blame it on Junk Bond. But, you know, it, it is frustrating. And we know that another very popular podcast has taken over the headlines. But what we like to do over here, both at the Red Hot Chili Prepper and the Wasatch Report radio show, is to talk about stuff that's a little bit off the beaten path and that you're not going to be hearing uh, hogging all the headlines anywhere, because really what makes us special is if we do announce, if we do cover interesting topics that are making headlines, we have our own unique, I guess, way of analyzing it. But today I want to share a story. This is an incident that happened on January 31st out in my area where a woman died tragically in a hunting accident in Echo Canyon, which is my hunting grounds. In fact, Jeff, I called one of our friends out in Wyoming And he said, you know, I just saw a story about a woman killed out there where you hunt, and I was worried it might be you. She was even the same age as me. Let me share this story. It's been covered in many, many news sources. This one in particular is from the Park Record. And this was a woman that was, she's dead now, following what the county uh, sheriff's office deputies are characterizing as a tragic accident. This was a hunting trip with two other members of her family. The deputies, they received a call just after 11 o'clock in the morning on Monday. Again, that was January 31st, the last day of the elk hunt. And the woman had been shot in northeastern Summit County, about a mile south of Interstate 80. So if you're going on along Interstate 80 and you've passed Park City and my town, Colville, you're going to get a split from the 80 to 84 interchange. So if you stay on 80, that takes you through this really scenic canyon. It's absolutely gorgeous. And then the first town it takes you to is is Evanston, Wyoming. Let me get back to the story. The woman, uh, who, her name had not been released at the time this article was published, but I'll get into that. She was hunting with her husband and her brother-in-law in Echo Canyon. And this is, again, according to the Summit County SO Lieutenant Andrew Wright. The woman is believed to have entered a park side-by-side while the two men were hunting elk during the last day of this hunt. The woman sat down in the utility terrain vehicle, and a rifle inside the vehicle discharged a bullet, and it hit her in the waist. According to uh, Sheriff Wright, it's unclear how far away the woman's family was when she was shot, but one of the men called 911 after realizing what happened. They are in complete shock and just devastated. It will take some time to investigate it. While we're seeing this as it's likely a very tragic accident, it's a reminder that unfortunate things happen, and we're going to be discussing ways to deal with that as we progress through this podcast today. The article continues, the deputies arrived on the scene and began providing aid until medical personnel arrived. A helicopter also responded to help with life-saving efforts, according to the SOs. The woman died from her injuries at the scene and was not transported. Summit County Search and Rescue, their headquarters are right down the road from a great outfit. They assisted with transporting investigators to Echo Canyon. Deputies on Tuesday morning were still looking into why the rifle discharged and planning to speak to the woman's family to help piece together the details. They're awaiting forensic evidence as well as autopsy results as part of the investigation. The family has cooperated with the sheriff's office and nobody else was injured. I've been quiet about this story. Normally this is something, Jeff, that you would see me posting immediately. I did share this with one of my Facebook friends because he's another firearms instructor and he ended up tagging me in a post about it, but I didn't put it on my timeline. I really needed to sit and process this. And the reason why is this was the wife of the outfitter that I hunt with. He's a very good friend of mine. She's been to my house with him and his brother. I've also elk hunted with his brother. And they were remarkable people. So this was a tremendous hit for me personally. I was out hunting with another group with the with the same outfitter on January seventeenth. I posted how I filled my tags. This is kind of hits me as a personal as a personal story here. So I I've really refrained from talking about it again. And so I thought Jeff, what we wanted to talk about because this is something her husband's also been focusing on. The news is how important. Gun safety is while you're hunting. We talk a lot about it while we are carrying firearms wherever we go, while we have them in our homes. We talk about when we're out shooting, you know, and and training with other people. But Jeff, I don't think we've really ever gotten into the specifics of firearm safety when you're hunting because the dynamics change. And this type of elk hunt is not the hunt that you think about where it's a traditional. Stock and kill hunt where, or you're in a tree stand quietly waiting for a deer to come out. This is the late season antlerless uh, elk hunt. It's a depredation hunt. This is a harvest. You're not out there to get a trophy. You're there to get meat in the freezer. So sometimes what happens when I go on these, we'll get, there were four of us and two kids in this same vehicle And when we pile in there and we're out there and this vehicle had tracks on it, you're getting into some very, very rugged terrain. And one of the things that always concerned me, Jeff, was trying to keep hold of our rifles while going through this, again, rugged terrain, getting stuck in the snow. It's uneven. And you've got four rifles in this vehicle. And everybody, you know, I've got people in back of me because I'm sitting in the front on the passenger side. I don't have eyes behind me. I can't keep track of anybody. So Jeff, what are some of the things that you would suggest if you're out on this? We do have a rule again, be very, and, and this outfitter is very, um, meticulous about this about, and we always practice never having around in the chamber when we are transporting our firearm, be it driving down the freeway, getting to the hunting grounds, even once we're in that buggy or on a snowmobile, we are not to have around in the chamber. What do you say, Jeff?
1: I believe that we have to be very careful when we're hunting in this condition where you're describing where you're getting in a four-wheeler. If it was my hunt, I would be requiring everyone to have an unloaded firearm, completely unloaded. Nothing in the magazine or whatever it is that holds the fire rounds in those firearms. I don't know if they're semi-automatics. I have no idea what they what people are hunting with. OK, but I would I would me personally, I would want an unloaded firearm in the in the vehicle, period. Everyone's unloaded. If it means you're going to have to t- load up. If you see elk, that's just the way it is, because it, safety is the number one issue here. Second thing I thought of is rather than people trying to hold on to these firearms. If again, if this is my hunt and I'm the outfitter and I, this is my vehicle, i would probably buy scabbards they make those plastic scabbards for these four-wheelers i would probably have scabbards at every seat so that the firearms can be put in them and secured so that they are not rattling around there's no chance of somebody accidentally doing something wrong and having a situation like unfortunately we're talking about
0: yeah and you know that's that's a great point and i hadn't even considered it because from what i had been told was Again, I'm not going to get too much into the details. I was not there. But what I had been told and what I've heard is that she was trying to enter the vehicle and had a difficult time trying to get in from the side she wanted to. She laid the gun down, and when she climbed in from the other side, it had discharged. And as we know, there's a little rise in the seat between the two. Somebody can sit in between the two but there is a little bit of an elevated uh, section between the, the bench seat there. So that probably would have raised the barrel high enough for it to get, it, hit, it went through her pelvis. Now we don't hunt with small caliber rifles when we're out there hunting. And a lot of people have not gone on one of these antlerless hunts. And like I said, this is not a stalk and kill. I've had people on social media say, oh, that's not a real hunt. You're out there in these machines and you know, going out there. Well, you're never going to walk to where they are and you're just not going to be able to get them home. It's deep snow. It's the end of the year. We're talking 7,000 foot elevation and it's just rough going. Not only that, it is usually, this was about zero degrees when we went out there and you were bundled up heavily. So you've got thick jackets trying to carry this gun, thick gloves a hat sometimes your glasses fall your hat comes down it affects your visibility it's not an easy hunt it might seem like one because you're riding around in a buggy but it's still not and i've even done it out there in snowmobiles and that's another wild ride it's almost like you know you break all of the rules first time i went out there on a bobsled jeff i hopped off the back one guy was chasing him we were spotting and i'm literally running in the snow I shot unsupported. The elk was running full speed, a quarter and away, and I ended up getting her. But I thought, you know, what do they tell you when you're hunting? Never run with your gun, right? And when you're out there and you know you don't get many days to go hunt, this was my one day when I went and I got, I was, I was able to fill my tags. It's really important that you don't sacrifice this safety for expediency. And I think the pushback that there would be from having the gun completely unloaded well, we'll never get them loaded in time because as soon as the elk see us, they're going to run off. I don't have an answer to that, Jeff, but I cannot, I, I given what's happened, I cannot say I disagree with you. What I would like to see is because the elk do move is wait until you're in an area when they're an open enough field where you can take a shot. And this is another thing. These are all distance shots. There's nothing up close. I don't think I've ever shot one closer than 300 yards farthest out 500 yards. So you're dealing with high powered rifles, as well as large caliber rifles. I can see why they maybe would want to keep around in the magazine, the internal magazine, we're talking about bolt action guns, and why the scabbards would be a a fantastic idea to get them in there. And then they're secured, because then you don't have to worry about them getting, you know, dropped. So then they're, they're not uh, sighted in if something like that happens. But, you know, some of the other things, and this was something that I told you about this after the hunt, because it really concerned me. I'm out there in my big, thick, thinsulate boots. Again, all this hunting gear, thick jacket, scarves wrapped around my neck and the thick gloves. And I'm carrying my gun and I took a misstep and there was no round in the chamber and my safety was on and the muzzle was pointed up, but I found my finger inside the trigger guard. I was a firearms instructor. That is the ultimate no-no. And it really just, it made me feel very disconcerted because I thought I, you know, even if I had the other four, that's still a 25% reduction in safety. It just goes to show that you really cannot sacrifice anything when you come to this. We're going to take a quick break for our friends at Anchor FM. Jeff's going to contribute some of his thoughts for safety as well. Then we're going to get into the medical issues, how we can treat some first aid situations should they arise. We'll be right back after a word from our friends at Anchor FM.
1: We could pretend to not- this way pretending things will be okay i wish i had the nerve to say
0: i don't want to live this way i don't want to live this way welcome back to the red hot chili prepper podcast i'm suzanne sherman jeff johnson and i are talking about hunter firearm safety when you're hunting and I'm the first part of the show, I shared a very tragic story about a family friend out here in Utah who was killed during a hunt. And we're talking a little bit about proper ways to carry the firearm. Jeff had a great suggestion: having scabbards to hold the gun, so we're not all trying to hang on to them in a all-terrain vehicle on tracks because it was deep snow. We talked about, you know, the the benefit of either either having the gun unloaded completely or just having it, in the magazine with the round of the chamber, we're talking bolt action, high caliber firearm suitable for distance shooting here. So, you know, I, I think Jeff, I could live with having my gun completely unloaded. If everybody wasn't in such a rush, the elk wouldn't uh just charge off. And that's what I feel is it's difficult to get out there. You don't get a lot of days to hunt and you want to get it done. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, but you're saying a word here that really does not go along with uh, firearm safety, and that's rush. Mm-hmm. If, if everyone's in a rush, that is that is exactly when tragic accidents happen. I understand. I'm a hunter. I, I, I 100% understand how what you're saying because, uh, you know, when I go out, uh, I really want to come home with something to put in the freezer. It's It's natural. Every hunter is like that. Right. Uh, but when the, when the words rush and firearms go together, it never seems to end up well. I suppose that if the outfitter ensured that all uh, chambers were empty, everyone showed him a safe and clear chamber, I suppose that would be one way to go around it because I, I just look at it one way and I just want people to be safe and not to have accidents where you're going to have to employ life-saving measures.
0: Yeah, and you know, you it was so astute of you to bring that up because as I talk about this story, I'm sitting here thinking, I really hate using the term rush, but that's how it is. We're out there and they'll say it's it's a long, boring day. And then all of a sudden you see them and everything happens really fast. And here's where something happened when we didn't even have the rush. This was the other two were still dealing. I don't know if they had a downed animal. I didn't ask. All I know is they were away from the buggy. And when she went back in, this had happened. And who knows? Maybe they had just gotten one and maybe she forgot to clear around in the chamber. And you, you know, you run this fine line between treating adults like children and possibly insulting some clients by saying, let me check your gun. Let me check your gun. Let me check your gun. But I think that's preferable to. Coming home without a family member or a family member not coming home and uh, having a funeral rather than processing elk so-
1: and this situation here is these are people that have paid a lot of money to come out and do a hunt this isn't yes. This isn't just you going out with your friends and uh, going out there and shooting something. These are actually clients that have spent a lot of money, and so this is his business, so these are considerations on his end because if he starts alienating clients, uh, then his business is adversely affected. But at the same time, if someone dies on one of his hunts, that's really going to be bad for his business. So, you know, there's a fine line he has to walk between safety and uh, giving clients an enjoyable time of hunting. And that's that's the tightrope there for his, uh, this, this family. And yeah, I, it, I understand it.
0: Yeah, and it really is. And it's just the nature of that kind of hunt. And I can't change how they do them, but Jeff, I'll tell you right now, I'm not going on another hunt like I did. There were actually six shooters on there and I ended up getting two elk, but it was just not the kind of shooting I like to do. You know, the favorite hunt I had was one morning when you and I were about to do a show. (laughs) and I saw some elk outside and I threw on some ski pants over my robe and I dropped one in my backfield. And after the show, I went out and gutted her. And after I plowed a a trail back to the back part of the field and brought her back. I love to hunt where I'm alone. But when you go out there or, you know, alone, but I'm not vulnerable on my property, I should say, I would never go out hunting like that by myself. But in a situation like that, where there are a lot of hunters and there are a lot of elk and everybody starts shooting, this is the way it's done on this hunt. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying, I personally don't think I want to do this again. And we all know the basics of firearm safety. Always keep your finger off the trigger unless you're ready to fire. Keep your safety on unless until you're ready to fire. Always keep the muzzle pointed in the same direction. And again, don't shoot at something unless it's something you want to completely destroy. We're going to take a quick break for our musical sponsor, Roxanne. And then Jeff, who was a paramedic, is going to talk a little bit about uh, first aid when it comes to firearms and uh, gunshot injuries. We'll be right back. Music for this program has been brought to you by Roxanne, courtesy of Rat Pack Records. Radio Silence is the album and is available on Amazon, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Rat Pack Records America.com, and RoxanneBand.com.
1: you were gone, that you would move down, but you hero here on my caller
0: ID. I'm not surprised your delusional mind thinks it might be all right to call me. What will it take to Welcome back to the Red Hot Chili Prepper podcast. We've been talking about firearm safety and sharing the story of a very tragic accident in my community here where a woman from Sandy, Utah, tragically perished Uh, She was accidentally shot when a firearm when a rifle, I guess I should say, when a rifle discharged when she entered the um, hunting, the vehicle that they were taking out hunting. Jeff, going back to your opinion as a paramedic, I'm sure you've seen some pretty uh, gruesome accidents in your time. What, if anything, could they have done for a woman with this kind of injury?
1: It's highly unlikely that they could have done anything for her. Simply because of the location and the structures that come through those areas, uh, the descending aortas come down through there. They go to the femoral arteries and those were likely impacted because if it, if the round hit the pelvis, uh, it shattered bone and the bone probably, uh, impacted those, uh, very crucial arteries. So likely there was no, uh, chance that they were going to be able to do anything for her. I doubt even if this happened at the doorstep of a hospital, if the uh, outcome could have been any different, maybe it could have been if there was a surgeon right on the scene at that second, but it's highly unlikely. It's just, it's just a terrible area to be shot in. I mean, it's uh, the, the outcome is just not very good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately she did pass before even the first responder got to her So, um, let's turn, let's turn our attention now. What is appropriate gear to have? You know, when people are out hunting, they could be injured in a multitude of ways. We'll talk about some, some equipment for, let's say a, like what happened here, only in a different area of the body that might uh, be survivable, as well as you can get, you can get cut by the knives. We're out there again. The weather is close to zero degrees. And you're trying to manipulate a knife as sharp as a scalpel and skill a, you know, 800-pound animal in the snow on a hill. And you can also maybe twist an ankle, break a leg, something like that. Let's talk about some things that you recommend, and we'll wrap up the show with that.
1: Without going into a whole lot of detail on IFACS, because we've talked about <laughs> IFACS, which is, uh, right. is your individual first aid kit. Uh, and that's for you. Dis just real, um, I mean, you can use it for others, but you know, if you're carrying an IFAC, it is for your injuries. And anyone you're hunting with should have an IFAC as well, because that's for their injuries. Then if you look up the military IFAC, basically what it is, it's for trauma. So if you have a, a cut, as you said, because you're skinning a deer, you have the ability to, uh, you know, control bleeding from that injury. If you have a gunshot wound, it helps you to control bleeding with those gunshot wounds. At the very least, you should have some Israeli bandages. They're, they're a heavy dressing that are made for heavy, uh, big trauma with gunshot wounds are. And uh, you should have an, an also at least a tourniquet in there, a um, a combat tourniquet that is made with a aluminum rod. You want something that's solid, that's going to work. You don't want to buy the cheap ones with plastic stuff in them. Buy, you Spend a little extra money. Get in, I'm going to give you a brand here uh North American rescue get a decent tourniquet that's in your pack you know you should have an occlusive dressings because here again if you have gunshot wounds if you have an accident if you have a chest wound you want to put the occlusive wound on it so they they don't get a sucking chest wound where they're bringing air into the cavity of the wound because then it makes they'll fill up with air and then you won't be able to breathe so there's a lot of things you should have in there. You should have occlusive dressings. I carry also a needle decompression so that if they do get air in there, I you know, you can put the needle in and, and get rid of the air out there and help them continue to breathe efficiently. I mean, there's a lot of different things you can do. Again, just look up IFACs, military IFACs, and see what they're suggesting you carry in them. And you should always have one out hunting. That's just, I I have one in my truck. I carry one in my truck all the time. It, because you I'm carrying there for if I have an accident and I'm injured, I have something there to treat uh, for open fracture or whatever uh, from an accident so you there's multiple uses for these. It's not just for hunting accidents or whatever. you can have it for any reason it's it's always always a good thing to have something to treat injuries with no matter where you go.
0: Quick word, and then I do want to get back as we wrap up the show to a couple more of the firearm handling practices. I forgot to mention those earlier, but I a question for you. When I first started getting into this and gathering up my supplies, I bought a lot of those packages of the powders that are supposed to stop blood or stop a a significant uh, laceration. So it'll stop the blood flow. And I guess that's a powder that you pour on that. I've heard some issues that it causes granulation and it makes it very difficult to treat the wound after is that correct and what would a good substitute be?
1: I would suggest getting the gauze. They have the blood clotting gauze so you can use that you can you can pack it right in there and removing the gauze is a lot easier for the doctors that are going to treat you. Uh if you use that powder stuff, they're going to have to debride that. It's going to it's going to make it a lot, lot more uncomfortable for you, make it a lot harder for them to to take care of you. So I I always suggest the gauze. If all you have is the powder, if it saves your life, it's worth every penny that you spend on it. Uh, so if yeah. you ha- that's all you have, it use it. But if you can replace it because they do they do expire, uh, they have they have a shelf life. If you can replace them with the gauze, that is better. Again, like I said, uh you might want to have some roll gauze so you can uh bind up wounds. In there, like as I said, the Israeli bandages, this really is not, I mean, if you're building an IFAC, it's not one you're going to be sticking full of band-aids and ace bandages and everything else. This is a specific thing for major injuries. Uh, You can have a first aid kit that has band-aids and all that other stuff in your vehicle, or you can carry it with you. Really what it comes down to is weight. If you're hunting out in the backcountry and you have a pack, it's all about weight. You're trying to maximize your ability to go long distances in these hunts. And the more crap you throw in there, the heavier the pack gets, the less you can travel. Yeah, so, absolutely. So again, you're you're trading off. The IFAC is the most efficient because it is just for major injuries.
0: And, you know, let me talk just briefly, and then we're going to end the show, uh, some of the firearm handling practices, not just the traditional, you know, finger up the trigger gun and say, you know, muzzle point in safe direction, that sort of thing. But also practices, and we all learn this when you go through hunter safety, if you take one of your kids through hunter safety, is when you're climbing over a fence, hand somebody your rifle. When you are getting in and out of a vehicle in a situation like this, hand somebody your rifle and have them give it to you if you don't have those, those uh, what do they call the scabbards that you were talking about. If that had happened here, this woman would still be alive. If she had handed this, here's here's redundancy. Okay, I'm going up to the vehicle. I'm going to get in now. Honey, here's my gun. Okay, thanks, sweetie. Hey, I'm going to check the round. Oh, looky here, you have a round in the chamber. Let's empty the gun completely since we're done hunting for the day. Everybody, everybody would have gone home happy and they could have celebrated Valentine's Day. It doesn't take a lot to prevent a tragedy from happening. And if you're not sure a situation like this could be, if one member is going to leave the group and say, I'm going back in the buggy. Hey, let's just take a minute to make sure there's no round in the chamber or your gun is completely empty. Take the extra time because I am seeing right now and, and seeing my friend go through the results of what happens when you fail to do so. I'm sorry that this was such a somber podcast but this incident really needed to be addressed. And I hope this gives people some pause. I want to thank you for joining us today. I'm Suzanne Sherman and Jeff Johnson and I will see you soon.